Today's daf is Lamid Bet in Masachet Betza. We are on Lamid Aleph Amud Bet, 12 lines from the bottom of the Amud where we left off, where it says, Amar Shemuel Chotamot Shebukarka Matir, Avalom Afkiyavlo Chotech. You have certain times they would have like cellars kind of in the ground, <clears throat> and you would have a door that was tied with ropes. And it's really actually attached to the ground, embedded in the ground, this sort of like cave or cellar or whatever that's underneath. So he says, you're allowed to untie the ropes to open those doors, but lo meaning you cannot take apart the rope, and nor can you cut the rope, because since it's attached to the ground, it's considered an actual binyan, it's considered an actual structure, permanent structure, and you would be considered dismantling, it would be considered stira. That, that melecha would be violated there. So that's why you're not allowed to do that. B'she b'kelim matir But if it is ropes that close the doors of kelim, of a closet, or something like that, not a closet attached to the structure of the house, but like a, uh, like a, um, uh, some piece of furniture that has doors or something like that that you open and close. So uh, you'd be allowed to uh, even cut the rope and even, uh, un, you know, make it, uh, unravel it because it's not considered part of a, a fixed structure. Echad Shabbat Bechad Yom Tov, and that's true on Shabbat and Yom Tov. According to this Baita, if you have these kinds of ropes tied into the ground on Shabbat, you can untie them, but you cannot destroy the rope itself, meaning you can't unravel it and you can't cut it. But on Yom Tov, you can do whatever you want. This is in accordance with the opinion of Rabbi Meir. Just like you said, you could dismantle the bricks. You could take all the bricks off of the structure in order to get to the food inside that the bricks are, have made a stru- been placed in a, stru- in a formation around. So he also says that you could do that with regard to the ropes in order to get to the food, seemingly, that is, uh, under the ground. In the cellar, you wanna, you wanna take apart the ropes and cut them. It's okay. And just like the rabbi said regarding the house that breaks, meaning the structure made of uh, of uh, bricks that uh, fell apart and now you can get to the food, they said you can't take them off the chatchila. They also disagree. And he says, And I'm saying like the rabbis. In other words, Shmuel says the reason why I said you cannot do it, right, whether on Shabbat or Yom Tov, is because I don't agree with Rabbi Meir that you're allowed to do that kind of thing for Ochel Nefesh. Um, only the uh, only Rabbi Meir said that. Did the rabbis really disagree with Rabbi Meir about this? This is exactly what the Brayta says. That actually the Chachamim don't disagree with Rabbi Meir about this. They say when it comes to ropes that are tied into the ground, like cellar doors in the ground, on Shabbat, you can untie them, but nothing else. And on Yom Tov, you can untie them, unravel them, and even cut them. So that's exactly what the Brayta said. Who Amar, what did Shmuel say? Ki haitan, he had a different version. Didani, it says in the Brayta, Chodemot Shabbat, matir, Echad Shabbat, Echad Yom Tov. That's what Shmuel said. You can untie them, but you cannot unravel them or cut them, whether on Shabbat or Yom Tov. When it comes to Kelim, meaning vessels that are mobile, uh, pieces of furniture that can be moved around, Shabbat, matir, well, on Shabbat, you can only untie, but you can't unravel or cut. And on Yom Tov, you can even unravel and cut. So the thing is, that fits. That works with the beginning. In other words, the question of what you're allowed to do with the ropes that are tied into the ground. So now Shmuel has a basis because this Brayta says that on whether Shabbat or Yom Tov, the only thing you're allowed to do is untie. You're not allowed to do anything else with the ropes that are tied into doors that are in the ground. 
What about the end? Because in Shmuel's teaching, when it comes to kilim, when it comes to doors, ropes that close the doors, uh, pieces of furniture, basically things that are mobile, things that are, you know, that are not uh, uh, fixed in the ground. He said, you're allowed to do whatever you want. You can not only untie, you can even unravel and cut. And this bright is saying no. That when it comes to kilim on Shabbat, it's the same rule as doors in the ground. That you can untie, but you cannot unravel and you cannot cut. And on Yom Tov, you're only allowed to go all the way and unravel and, uh, and cut. So that's different than Shmuel. Shmuel was not making a difference between Shabbat and Yom Tov on either one. So it says, That's Rabbi Nechemya's opinion that you see at the end of this Braita. How so? Because according to Rabbi Nechemya, um, you can only use items on Shabbat the way that they're intended to be used. Now, we learned about this in Masechet Shabbat, but it was a long time ago. Rabbi Nechemya has a unique position about Muktzeh, that he says the way Muktzeh works is that every item has a designation. It's not negative like we usually think. Did you have in mind to use it? Did you not have in mind to use it? But it's more positive. Every kli, every vessel has a designation, something it's designed for. And if that designed use, and the only thing you're allowed to use something for is its designated use. That's how Muktzeh works on, Yom to- on, on Shabbat, according to Rabbi Nechemia. It's a much more exacting and precise kind of Muktzeh because it means you have to know for every item, an item might be Muktzeh for one thing but not for another because you can't use it for any purpose but its designated purpose. So when you're using it for its designated purpose, yes, and if not, not. So here, how are you going to be able to cut these ropes? Obviously with a knife. Now the main purpose of a knife is to cut food. Right? And so therefore, cutting ropes is not the reason to use it. So therefore, Rabbi Nechemia is saying, you can't cut the ropes, even of a kli, even of a vessel. You can't cut the ropes that close the doors of, let's say, some kind of a, uh, uh, some kind of a trunk or whatever you have, because you're not allowed to use the knife for that. Not because of the cutting of the ropes, because you're not allowed to use the knife for that. But if that's true, Rabbi Nechemia, but then why does it distinguish between Yom Tov and Shabbat? Maybe you'll say Rabbi Nechemia makes a, distinguish, a distinction between Shabbat and Yom Tov. Is it really true? We have three opinions. One says you can use, let's say you're making a fire on Yom Tov. You can throw vessels into the fire and let them burn up. But you can't use vessels that broke on Yom Tov because they became muktzeh. That's obviously the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda. According to Rabbi Shimon, you can throw fully formed vessels in to burn or even vessels that broke on Yom Tov because he doesn't hold by muktzeh. So he says you can take the broken items and throw them. A third bite that said, no, you cannot use vessels or broken vessels. And who is that? We know that the first one is Rabbi Yehuda because he holds from muktzeh, so the broken vessels you're not allowed to touch anymore. Rabbi Shimon says you can touch the broken vessels. Rabbi Nechemia says you can't even throw a wooden bowl into a fire on, Shab- on Yom Tov. Why? Because that's not what a wooden bowl is for. And you're only allowed to use things for what they're designated for. Now, obviously, this is talking about Yom Tov, and you see that Rabbi Nechemia applies the same stringent interpretation of Muktzeh to Yom Tov as he does to Shabbat. So how can we say that on Shabbat, you're not allowed to cut those ropes, but on Yom Tov, you are? That doesn't make any sense. He holds the same for Shabbat and Yom Tov. Gemara answers, These are two interpretations of Rabbi Nechemia. One says that he distinguishes between Shabbat and Yom Tov. And that's what this, the bright at the top of this Amud was saying. 
that when it comes to Shabbat, you're not allowed to touch a knife to cut a rope because you're just not allowed to use a knife for that. And on Yom Tov, you could. Whereas these Braithot that talk about throwing vessels into the fire, their interpretation of Rabbi Nechemiah is that both on Yom Tov and on Shabbat, you're not allowed to use anything for anything other than its designated use. That's the conclusion of the Gemara here. Um, and, and therefore, it turns out that Shmuel's opinion is substantiated by a Braitha, notwithstanding at the end of the Braitha follows Rabbi Nechemiah's view. The Mishnah says, in pochatin at the you cannot, pochatin, you cannot, um, what they would do was, they would have, the narrator was talking about the um, bowl, the little uh, uh, cup that holds the oil in it. You cannot dig out the center of it. In other words, make the opening in it um, by sticking your hand in to make a, uh, make a uh, receptacle for the oil because you're making a vessel. You cannot extinguish things in order to make coals. You cannot cut a... Um, you cannot cut a... Uh, 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 a uh, wick of a candle on Yom Tov. Rabbi Yudah says you can cut it with fire. We'll see what that means. But you can't make um, charcoal because Rashi says it's also a type of a creating of a kli, creating of a vessel, just like the uh, receptacle for the oil of the candle. Now the Gemara says, Who is the one who says that Forming that receptacle for the oil in the candle is considered making a vessel. Because he said, when does a uh, earthenware vessel become subject to the laws of Tumah? From when its work is finished, according to Only from when they bake it in an oven. In other words, according to Rabbi Meir, from the, fat, from the moment that you stick your hand into it and you carve out that opening, it doesn't matter if you actually um, baked it to make it stay that way, uh, it's still considered finished. Rabbi Yoshua says you have to put it into the um, oven. How do you know? Where it says maybe it's different because Rabbi Meir is talking about a situation where you have the chance, there's something you can do with it. In other words, that when it comes to a, uh, when it comes to um, uh, the the case that he's talking about, when he's talking about items that are mekabel tumak licheres, she says this really the Rabbi Meir ben Neir How do you know the Rabbi Meir considers a candle the same as other earthenware vessels? Because other um, earthenware vessels are large. And if, because you didn't bake it yet, you can't really put liquid, it'll seep right through, but you can at least put big solid items in it. So that's considered to be finished for those solid items, even if you haven't baked it yet, it still could contain apples, you could put pears in there, whatever. Right? So the Gemara answers no, even there, because, uh, because says you still have, um, the chance that you could put into it, uh, that you could still put into it coins, right? Um, and those coins, small coins that you could put in there. So therefore, even if you just made a, uh, an indent in the clay in the shape of a receptacle, uh, even though you haven't baked it yet, since you could put coins in there, it's considered to be finished according to Rabbi Meir. It's actually the opinion not of Rabbi Meir, but of Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Tzadok. It's not, as we learned in the Mishnah, which the Gemara is going to explain are plates that were made by the villagers and they're not very particular about um, uh, the processing of these, these plates. They were in a very primitive state. They are not... 
uh, subject to Tum'ah because they have not yet had an indent placed in them and they haven't yet been put in the oven and so on. Rabbi, uh, how, however, that's true by Oil Amet, that's true a, in a, a, under the same roof as a dead body. But if a Zav carries them, they will become Tamei uh, from the touching of the Zav. That they're still pure even from the uh, carrying of a Zav, they will not be affected because uh, they, their work has not been completed yet. Now Rashi says here, why according to the Tanakama? Is, uh, is it going to become Tamei Fezav touches it? So it says, because when it comes to Oel uh, Hamet, when it comes to the dead body, being under the same roof as the dead body, so there we say that it has to have a toch, it has to have some kind of a, uh, has some kind of an airspace in it, some kind of an indent in order to be Mekabel Tumafra Klicheres. Whereas for touching, the Zav touching something, when it comes to a Zav touching something, if he moves it at all, um, he doesn't have to, uh, since he touches it from the outside to make it tamay by carrying it, he doesn't have to touch the inside, so that means it doesn't have to have a receptacle on the inside. According to Rabbi Eliezer, no, it doesn't have any tum'ah until it has some kind of an indent inside of it. Um, so therefore, this is Rabbi Eliezer Rabbi Tzadok, who says that the moment of truth for the, um, for this kli is when it has an indent made in it. You see that he's saying that it has to have an indent in order to be mekabel tum'ah. That making of an indent creates it into a vessel, according to Rabbi Eliezer Rabbi Tzadok. Now it says, but still, right over there, um, he could be talking about a large vessel, and so therefore he says, as soon as you make a small indent in it, it becomes complete. But what's the tiny thing of the candle that we're talking about here, what could you put in it if it's not yet baked, and therefore it cannot yet receive liquids? What could it receive? It says, the could still have, it could have coins placed in it, and since you can put the small coins in, therefore it still has a function. So simply making the indent in the kli is enough. You cannot um, make this indent, in, in other words, shape, basically, the receptacle for the oil of the candle on Yom Tov, and you cannot make these plates, these villagers' plates on Yom Tov. Rabban Shemov Gamliel says, you can make those kind of plates. Why? So well, the reason would seem to be, because since there's no actual indent made in them, since there's, no, uh, there's nothing done, uh, uh, to create a full kli, so therefore he doesn't consider it a problem. My charaniot, what's charaniot? Amarav Yehuda, araniot, it's talking about city. Araniot is uh, people who live in the, uh, uh, in the uh, city. So he says, what, what do you mean? My araniot, amarav Yehuda, it's talking about the plates of the people who live out in the fields. In other words, these are um, uh, people who live in the fields, meaning not in the big cities, but they live in the outskirts. They live in the cities, meaning in the towns that are uh, involved in agriculture, and therefore they're not particular about having fancy kinds of um, of uh, dishes and things like that. So therefore, um, according to the Tanakama, seemingly since that's as far as the processing goes for those plates, they are considered a kli once you make them. According to Rabban Shemam Gabriel, since they don't have what is generally considered to be a complete uh, plate, which is an indent inside, therefore it is not uh, a complete kli, and therefore you'd be allowed to make it on the Yom Tov according to that. Now there is another interpretation of the Tosafot here, how he explains the flow of the Gemara here, and what the real question is, and what the stages are of the making of this candle, and the making of these various items. Um, 
the there is a uh, there there is a difference of opinion. There's also Rabbeinu Tam's interpretation of what exactly these uh, vessels were, these plates were that they were talking about of the villagers. Um, but we're not going to go into that. But it's interesting to look at the Tuto Sefot on this Amud if you're interested in an alternative perspective. Now the En Osi Bechamin, we don't make charcoal. So Pshita Lemai Chazei. Obviously, what benefit would it have? What function would it have on the Yom Tov? Because you might want to give it over to the person who runs the bathhouse on Yom Tov. What do you mean? Are you really allowed to heat up water in the bathhouse on Yom Tov? No, we're talking about to sweat. In other words, to create the sauna. Like Rava said in another context, answering a different question, he made a distinction between the actual bathhouse and the sauna, basically, saying so to here, lehazia to go into sweat. In other words, to put the charcoal underneath, so people would walk into a hot room with the charcoal is underneath certain grates in the floor, and the heat would rise, and they would go into sweat there on Yom Tov before they made the gzera against going to the sweating on Yom Tov. Once they made the gzera against going to the sweating on Shabbat and Yom Tov, obviously then the charcoal would have no purpose. But when they didn't have that gzera, you were allowed to go sweating on Yom Tov, so. You could have uh, created the, you might have had the thought, you might have had the, considered the possibility that you could make charcoal in order to put it underneath the sauna and go in and uh, sweat. But anyway, now we have a gzerah that you're not, called gzerah tamerchat, that you're not allowed to go for bathing or for sweating on the Yom Tov. You're not allowed to cut uh, the wicks of the candles. What's the difference? You're not allowed to cut with a knife to come with the kin because you're fixing it. So then, man, so then, uh, to come with the kin mana because you're fixing the item. You're completing the, uh, uh, the wick. But, but, so why does, why at the end of the Mishnah do we see that you're allowed to cut a wick using fire? If you're not allowed to use a knife, why would Rabbi Yehuda say you could cut it with fire? The answer is, In other words, if you have a long wick and you put one side of the wick in one candle, meaning in one container of oil, and the other side of the wick in another type, and then you light it at the middle of the wick, instead of at the end, you light the middle so that it breaks off into two candles, that you're allowed to do, seemingly because in the Hadlaka itself, in the lighting itself, you basically divided the candle into two. You divided the wick into two, and that was allowed. You're allowed to remove. Uh, we're going to see what mochatin is on Yom Tov. Uh, the, the wick on Yom Tov. To take off the dark part is what that means. In other words, if there's a part that's already been burnt, um, that's already accumulated some charcoal on the edge of it, you're allowed to remove that in order to facilitate a relighting of the um, wick when you want to. There were six things said about a wick, three strict and three lenient. Stringently, you're not allowed to make a wick uh, and you're also not allowed to singe the end of the wick to make it light better. You can't cut it into two. What are the leniencies? You're allowed to squish it together. In other words, you're not allowed to like um, fashion a wick in the proper way by spinning the threads together that way. But you can squish the fibers together into a wick if you want. You can also soak it in oil to help it catch the fire better. And also if you put one end of a long wick in one 
container of oil and one end of the and the other end of the long wick in another receptacle of oil. You can light it in the middle and it will break into two candles automatically. The the wealthy people of Bavel are going to the bad place. They're going to gain up. Right? Because one time it happened that First he said, I need some business. Meaning somebody go into a partnership with me. I want to join them in some kind of a, uh, some kind of a schora, some kind of a, uh, I'll do, be like the silent partner or I will, you know, I will, if you give me, um, share with me your capital, I will do business for you and I'll take uh, part of the profit for myself. Uh, whatever it is, they, they wouldn't give it to him. He was looking for food, they also wouldn't help him. Amari said, These people are not really Jewish. These people here in Bavel must not really be Jewish. They're from the Erev they're from the mixed multitude that joined the Jewish people when they left Egypt. But how do I know that? Because it says, Hashem is going to give you mercy and He's going to be merciful to you. Anybody who is merciful to the to creatures of God, we know that he's really a Jew. And anybody who is not kind, we know that he is not one of the descendants of Abraham. He, and therefore, he could he said, because it says, Hashem is going to give you mercy and be merciful to you. That extra language means that because you have an meaning that you, he gave you, he inspired you to be merciful, and therefore he's going to be merciful to you. If a person is not merciful, they must not be a Jew. Jews are generally caring and compassionate people. Anybody who's dependent on, who's hoping for the table of somebody else, meaning he's not independent financially, he's dependent on the table of someone else. Olam The world is darkened for him. It's a dark world. As it says, a person wanders around for bread. Aye. Right? And it's a, he's, he's saying, where is the bread? He knows that what he has set for him is a day of darkness. His day, he, also, his life is not a life. Somebody who lives in that dependent state and is not able to sustain himself and is, is looking to others to... Uh, to provide him uh, for what he needs. Um, and similar to Nura Banan, Gimel Chayem En Chayim, there are three people that their lives are not lives. One is somebody who awaits the table of his friend, meaning he doesn't have his own food. Somebody whose wife rules over him. And somebody whose physical suffering is taking over his body. Some say that even somebody who has only one Outfit or only one tunic, one shirt, he also has no life. But Tanakama, why doesn't the Tanakama include that? Because because it's possible for such a person to just pay attention. In other words, according to the Yesh Omrim, according to the alternative view, since having only one uh, tunic and you're not able to wash it ever because you have nothing else to wear while you're washing it, so you get lice in there, you get bugs in there. So why didn't the Tanakama include that? Because it says you can always try to delouse it, you can always try to keep it clean, you can always try to maintain the one piece of clothing that you have so it's possible to have a life even with having only one outfit. The Mishnah says, We don't break um, earthenware. And we don't break papyrus. What they used to do was they would take on the grill, they would put a piece of earthenware and put the fish on the earthenware, not right on the grill. Or they would put it on a piece of papyrus, not right on the grill. Um, for this, to put the uh, salted fish on there. We cannot sweep out the oven or the stove, but we can push down what is inside there. 
um, in order to flatten it. Rashi says, You can push down the ashes and the dirt so that it is flat and even, so that the things that you stick on the walls of the oven don't touch the ashes and the dirt and become ruined from that. Um... Uh, we don't take two barrels, put them next to each other, to each other and put a, a pot on top of them. In other words, making kind of a tripod where you have a barrel on the right, a barrel on the left, the uh, pot suspended in between them in the middle and then put a fire underneath it. We don't do that. We also don't lead an animal with a stick on Yom Tov. Rabbi Shimon allows you to lead the animal with a stick on Yom Tov. We're going to see the Gemara is going to discuss whether that's an issue of Muktzeh or that is an issue of uh, looking like you're doing a weekday activity. Um, so uh, the, the we also have a question of what is the reason for the... Uh, Oh, I skipped one part. It also said, we, uh, you cannot support the pot with a piece of a wood chip or with a door. We'll see what that means. So right now we're assuming that's a muktze issue, that since you're not allowed to use wood chips except for their designated purpose, which is to make a fire, you can't use it to support the pot and you can't use a, a door to support the pot. That's, the, uh, that's what seems to be the reasoning. And uh, as we're going to see, the reason why you can't put a pot on top of the two barrels that are next to each other is because it looks like you're making a tripod. It looks like you are creating an oil. You're making a building, a structure on the Yom Tov. Now the Gemara says, What's the reason why you cannot break these pieces of cheres, uh, uh, of earthenware or of papyrus in order to make like little um, sort of surfaces that you're going to then place uh, the fish on the grill in them because it's making a, a kli, basically. You're making a vessel out of that. You cannot sweep out the oven and the stove. If there's no way, if by pushing down the uh, dust and the ashes is not enough, you still can't bake in the oven, so then you're allowed to sweep it out. It once happened that the wife of Rabbi Chia, one of the bricks from the oven, fell into the oven on Yom Tov, and now she didn't know what to do because she couldn't sweep it out. So, You should know, I want very good bread, meaning that you can sweep out the rock in that case, or sweep out the brick in that case, in order to make very good bread. Rava said to his servant, Tevili bar avza, Please, um, he told him, please uh, uh, roast for me a goose. Okay, they had, uh, and they had, as Rashi explains, they had ovens where the opening was on top and they would hang the, um, they would hang the food from above and they would close the top of the oven and that's how it would roast. But he said, but make sure that it doesn't get burned and meaning, make sure to clean out the oven of any other debris that might cause the uh, food to get ruined. Because if there are rocks in there, whatever, that get hot and touch my food in certain spots, it'll ruin the spot, those spots. So please make sure that it doesn't get burnt. In other words, he was telling him he's allowed to sweep the oven out as necessary in order to use it. Now, the Hutzal said to us, that the master, they actually um, put that your servants, in other words, they were spe- he was speaking to Ravashi and saying that they heard that about Ravashi, that he allowed his servants to take um, 
some kind of a clay and to seal the top of the oven so that no air could get in and the food wouldn't be ruined when they closed the top of the oven in order to roast inside the oven. But that would be a melachav lash because you're, it's almost kneading. You're taking the clay or you're taking basically dirt and mixing it with water, making a mud and sealing the top of the oven. How could you do that in Yom Tov? So I said, We are using the mud of the Euphrates. In other words, they were using, they were going down to the river where there's already mud. They didn't have to make the mud. They used the mud that was already there and they used that to seal the top of the oven. That's allowed, but making the mud wouldn't be allowed. Okay? That's only if you gathered it up and you designated it, you made some kind of a sign there and you moved it to the side. For the, from the previous day. But otherwise, you can't just go take mud because it would be muktzeh. So it has to be designated mud. Kitma is allowed. What does Rashi say? He says that you're allowed to knead with water and make it into something clumpy and make it into a kind of a paste that you can seal the oven with. That's not considered lush. It's not considered to have the right consistency to really create a quote-unquote a dough out of the dirt. And so therefore... Um, uh, that's how Rashi interprets it. Tosafot says that here we might not be talking about kneading the ashes. We're talking about using the ashes to plug up holes in the, uh, in the oven. That's another possible way of reading the Gemara here. And Bezrat Hashem, we will continue from this point in the next year.